can't find the uh, intro. So here, hang on. Boom, 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 boom. Hello and welcome to the Lost Art Podcast. I'm Paul and I'm here with Gar. <laughs> and today we have an episode that we've been uh, working on all week. It's a very interesting one. It's something that uh, I kind of have thought about since the 80s. <laughs> and uh, something very strange happened to 60s and 70s rock stars between the years and i narrowed this down to this i couldn't believe this podcast went through the songs between 85 and 87 mm. those that's three years right where they basically couldn't help but be tempted by the technologies and pop sensibilities of the mid 80s mm. and i noticed this phenomenon it is a phenomenon because it has to be we're talking yeah. about that specific subset of musicians and those three years has created this playlist <clears throat> and and there could have been a lot more, like a lot more. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I noticed this phenomenon uh, as a kid, especially with a certain song that I've put on this list. And I thought to myself, that doesn't sound like the stuff he used to do at all. Yeah. Um, so there was a huge change in music in the late 70s and early 80s, which was down to a number of factors. But you had digital recording becoming sort of more widely used and the introduction of MIDI made it easier for musicians mm. to sequence music. Uh, so what that meant was there was huge sections of songs then being programmed to play a certain way via synthesizer or, or drum machine yeah. uh, rather than musicians playing them live. So, for instance, Frankie Goes to Hollywood could play the song Relax Live, yeah. but the studio version contains mostly sequenced synthesized loops from a, a Fairlight CMI sampler, and we'll, that that comes up a lot um, in these. And the Lindrum drum machine, yeah, those are two pieces of technology that defined the sounds of the eighties of pop eighties, anyway. As well as many Roland and Yamaha and um, uh, Dave Smith synths and drum machines. So around this time, as well, a lot of the 70s, 60s and seventies rock stars had found themselves uh, solo musicians, whether it be temporarily or. or mm you know, in their mind, for the long haul. <clears throat> and this technology, uh, which was the sound of the charts at the time, like, yeah. it was too much, I think, of a draw for them to pass up and use. So, in this episode, you're going to hear a lot of rock artists from that from those decades singing basically 80s pop songs. Yeah, I mean, with, with, when that technology arrived on the scene, like, a lot of people that maybe had a little bit of a, little bit of an ego buzz to begin with, all of a sudden, it looked like with just like an assistant engineer or in some cases um nobody they could yeah. replicate the sounds of an entire band by themselves and not have to get anybody else involved it's, it was all yeah. them you know so that, that was obviously very attractive to to a lot of them as yeah. well so this it's crazy that this phenomenon like it happened all through the 80s but the, this i just looked and said right i'm gonna get a, a rough gauge of when these songs were they were nearly all 85 to 87 and that is a tiny tiny window for this mm. to have happened um and this sort this podcast is a little bit like one we've done keeping up with the kids where we had artists from the late 70s and 80s doing who influenced by grunge yeah. or sometimes like when corn was influenced by dubstep and um, this focuses more on that phenomenon where men in their late 30s which also was a thing i checked it and they're almost all <laughs> born in the late 50s this is crazy. This is a yeah. genuine phenomenon since today. Like, this was just an idea that they had, and you were like, oh, yeah, that is, that is yeah. kind of like a thing that happened. And we went, fuck it, we better do a podcast on it. So, um, 
so, men in their late 30s are coming up against the wave of synth-driven pop decided to, let's say, partake yeah, in what was going dip on. Dip their toes in. Dip their toes in. So who's your first one? Who's my first one? Um, or did you want to talk about more about the tech? Uh, the tech no, well, I tell you what. I tell you what. I'd like to say, explain to, to people what we're going to do is we're going to have a slightly new format to the shows. In that the one you listen to for free is going to be the same as the one you've always listened to for free. But for our patreons, um, each episode is going to be slightly longer. We're yeah, going to stick the, around, the, and we're going to the extra ones. The, yeah. we'd normally we'd normally cut uh, four or five songs off, three to five songs off by yeah. it's at the end, and we decided to just. Uh, do extended ones for for you people that have exactly. Helped, uh, so people on Patreon basically get a, a slightly longer podcast, and um, yeah, it'll be fun. Um, like I said, if you listen for free, perfectly fine. Um, nothing that's, will that's, change. That's, yeah, we're we're not uh, cutting some of that podcast no, off. We're, we're not paywall and stuff. Them. Yeah, we're just adding a little bit more. It's like a bonus tracks B side, so don't be don't be exactly. too worried. Exactly, um, and all the Patreon links are there in the text if you if you do want to get involved. Um, but on with the show. The first one I picked is a is a really obvious one. Um, when you brought it up, it was one of the first ones that jumped into my head, and it's a uh, Fergal Sharkey with a good heart. Oh yeah, definitely. Like definitely, it's a uh, a it's a dreadful fucking song. It's it's very very bad song. Yeah, it's very bad. real terrible. Um, <laughs> Coming from someone who defined so much about like. Uh, Punk. Yeah, like I always got the feeling. So Fergal Sharkey was born in nineteen fifty eight again, which is covering your basis there. All in the late fifties. I think. No, sorry. I think he's actually my one were late forties. He's he's actually the exception to the rule. Sorry, so that's my bad. So uh, he's, uh, born in, in in Derry up north in Northern Ireland, and uh, he was the vocalist of the Undertones from nineteen seventy five to nineteen eighty three. Okay, so uh, Undertones would have been. 1975 would have been like the beginnings of kind of punk like punk obviously made its big splash its big explosion around 77 78 but 75 yeah. the, uh, uh, chances are in 1975 there's a very good chance that the undertones didn't even sound like what we expect the undertones to sound like it probably sounded yeah. very kind of blues rocky or pub rocky or something like that you know um yeah but like this is one of the very much kind of prototype Northern Irish punk bands and to this day like the South of Ireland doesn't get a look in when it comes to kind of punk legacy the North of Ireland is famous for punk bands like they're yeah. worldwide famous punk bands um, yeah. but they're all from the North of Ireland like yeah, we've got one or two down here but the North has a ton of them to the point where like the record labels there's documentaries based on the Northern Irish punk scene it's just it was famous for it and yeah. um, like Undertones are one of the big ones, like the the daddies of them all. But I always got the feeling that Fergal Sharkey just wanted to play music. I don't think he really gave a shit about the punk aspect of it. You know, he just kind of yeah. fell into that. You know, he um, never like not that you have to, but he never looked like one. Of, and it was commented on a lot. I think I remember watching that documentary, uh, Good Vibrations. Yeah, and one of the bands that was wasn't chosen. Like our, you know, your man went to to kind of promote the undertones more yeah he's looking at the undertones on television and he's like they look like the fucking beach boys yeah you know exactly. I mean? so that was a kind of sentiment that was directed towards them, linen shorts like. and all yeah yeah that a very yeah they, they didn't look like anything you know um and they back they had some fucking bangers like to be fair yeah um, i'm not a big bangers fan, not a big fan but I, like i really have to appreciate everything yeah there's like four or five murderer Kind of, kind of tracks there for me and then a bunch of really really good ones but when they broke up in 83 uh, other members went off and formed uh, that petrol emotion around 1984 um, 
Now, before he went solo, Fergal Sharkey had a group called The Assembly with uh, Vince Clark from Yazoo and Depeche Mode. Yeah, and yeah. they had, I think they were like, a, uh, not quite a one-hit wonder thing, but it was more of like a studio project. I think they played maybe one or two gigs. But um, yeah. they, they, uh, they, I think they had a hit single. They did. It was called Never Never in 1983. It would have been just after um, The Undertones knocked it on the head. So his four solo singles called uh, Listen to Your Father, and it was written by uh, Carl Smith from Madness. And it was actually, it was put out on Madness's record label as well. I, I think they thought, like... I think they thought that, like, the undertones had left a big kind of hole in the music scene because they were they were very, very well thought of. And then yeah. all of a sudden, one of the lads of Madness, like, gets talking to Fergal Shark. He's like, come on, let's, let's do a song together. Let's, you know, put a little group together. Of course, together. yeah, yeah. You know? Grab them, grab them while you can, yeah. Exactly. And I don't think it really stuck. They, they put out their label called uh, Zarjaz Records, which is a 2000 AD reference. Um mad for 2000 AD well I was going to say for some reason 2000 AD was fucking amazing back in the day Um, so this this song A Good Heart uh, against fucking dreadful Um, he didn't write it it was written by a woman called Maria McKee who was the singer of that band Lone Justice she had her her own big song uh, Show Me Heaven Show Me Heaven that's That's, a banger yeah she wrote this song Um, and I went fucking straight to number one like just figure yeah. it all of a sudden bam but in terms of differences like this a good heart is a pure like pop fucking hit you know what i mean it's there's a, it's nothing a heel, it's a, if, if you didn't like pop it's a heel turn yeah what he just did yeah like a proper 180 like it's that de- it's it's like a full like a full turn around like i said like it, it has nothing to deal with his previous kind of heritage and what he's known for now whether that was a conscious move or maybe that was kind of what he wanted to sing in the first place like I said I, I never felt like he really wanted to do undertone I, stuff to begin I, I, with I think, I think you're right I think some people just want to be popular singers yeah. and it doesn't really matter hugely like we don't know what he would have sounded like if he was not with the undertones do you know what I mean like like he could have sounded he could have gone for any band I don't exactly. know much about Fergal Sharkey he, he might not have, like when he's from an ordinary punk band mm. now their biggest hit, Teenage Kicks, has got nothing to do with anything remotely political, I don't think. Uh, no. Or, or has it? It's it's a lovely love song that you yeah. hear the Beatles kind of like he's a He's a so, fly fisherman. Like, that's his hobby. He goes out fishing. You know what I mean? And he lo- kinda, lovely bloke, by, by all accounts. By all accounts, he's a good deal with him. He worked, um, worked for Polydor Records in the 90s as A&R, yeah. uh, which must be kind of weird. Like, think about it, like the 90s, 90s fucking... 30 odd years ago like you know what I mean so no it's not it's like 20 years ago <laughs> so um like 10 years ago and uh yeah. but you imagine like if you were in a, in a in a punk band or a rock band or something like that and Fergal Sharkey from the fucking undertones is standing in, in the crowd looking at you you know what I mean yeah. might be a bit off putting um, and then then you're invested in everything and you know that Fergal's coming out with a solo single and you run out and buy it and you're treated to well this garbage like, um this absolute like, Scutter. I'm going to play a bit of it now in a second anyway. I'm not going to play much of it. Everybody knows this fucking song. Um, but the Undertones reunited, reunited in 1999. And they uh, they asked him, do you want to come back, like? And he said no. So, <laughs> fair play uh, to him. he just said no. Yeah. I think at that stage, I think at that stage, he'd taken a job, something to do with fucking radio, like an... Like a, not, not a music programmer, but something to do with like the, the official radio fucking yeah. guide of England or something. Listen, he took a fucking OBE in 2019, like. So, 
Uh, yeah, yeah. He took a knee. He took a knee and an OBE in 2019. Uh, Paul McLean took over singing for the Undertones. And uh, pretty good, actually. He's a nice dude. He drinks in the pub every now and again. He's a nice guy. And uh, he probably was single with them a couple of years ago. And that's fucking killer, man. I can, for the life of me, I can't remember what it's called. Someone played it for me. Someone had it on 7-inch. And I was like, I didn't know who it was. I didn't recognise the voice. And I went over to the DJ. I was like, what's that, man? It's really fucking good. He says, the Undertones. Shut the fuck up. Because yeah, it's like Paul McLean singing with the undertones. It sounded like like that old kind of vibrator style kind of uh, English punk rock yeah. stuff. It was really, really good. Um, I'm gonna play a bit of this song just because I'll play a couple of seconds of it. Um, just because anybody who doesn't know what this sounds like, it's fucking mutant like. I suppose they could be true All about love And what it can do to you Highest risk of striking out The risk of getting hurt And still I have so much to And I hope to God that's the last time I ever hear that fucking song. Um, it's just, it's just dreadful. Um, it bothers me because there's. I, I tell you, boy, there's a, there's a bill. I'm looking at it here. One, two, um, three, four, five. There's five songs on this list so far that fucking haunted me through my childhood. That every time you put the radio on, they were on. Yeah, and absolutely. I got enough of them then. I don't need yeah. anymore, you know. Well, you have to, you have to go through these now, unfortunately. You do, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Hopefully, it doesn't take fucking long because this is <laughs> just a lot of them no, are bad. Yeah. Some of them are fucking great, uh, yeah. but there's a couple of them are just are, are garbage. But yeah, Fergal Sharkey went from being like an icon and the kind of you'll see them written as a post-punk band when they started in 1985 and finished in '83. Like that's still fucking pure punk years. So I don't get the post-punk kind of thing. Um, yeah. they're they're a yeah. punk band they're not like suit, like mohawks and screaming you know that came later that came after them it's uh, very punk though it's very nice though like uh, I, I'm not a big fan but I do love how Teenage Kick sounds yeah and like fucking like there's a bunch of them you know what I mean like yeah. a, a lot of great songs and it just like Teenage Kicks is great uh, it's fun and it's over nice and quick you know what I mean? It's a fucking win-win situation. Thank but uh, yeah, jumped into the, the jumps into that punk, uh, into that pop world, and uh, does two footed, does serious business with it. Like, let's be honest, does, you know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, hopefully, I never hear it ever again. Uh, who's your first one? My first one is uh, George Harrison. Got my mind set on you mm. uh, from his, from his last solo album prior to his death, uh, Cloud Nine. It's a cover of a James Ray. Uh, with Hutch Davies Orchestra and Choir Song from 62. And I, I know that's a big 
one of his favorite songs from his youth because it's in a lot of documentaries you know paul mm. said that he used to carry that record around and play all the time um, this song for me really stands out as an 80s George Harrison song. Yeah. Like, granted, there's not many George. There's two albums in the 80s, and one of them's not. One of them was like 80, 80 on the button, I think. Mm. Um, it's But it's so poppy. And even though it's one of the least 80s sounding songs probably on this playlist, it's still super 80s sounding. It's it really mad. Is, like. Yeah. And it's also it's the least George Harrison song of all time. Like, Yeah, that's um, what that's what kind of makes me, me put it on. And when I heard this as a kid, I liked it, but me I too. thought. Like I was big into the Beatles as a kid, loved listening to the Beatles, and I was like, something in my head. I, I was like, that doesn't sound like him mm. or any at all. Like, yeah, vocally um, and all, it's not like him at all. No, yeah, he is doing a cover, but yeah, but it's just mad. It sounds to me more like a song you'd hear on the top of the pops. Uh, uh, easily. Yeah. Uh, the video, which was inspired by the effects on Evil Dead Two, actually. Really? Um, yeah. If you watch the video, uh, it has Harrison playing in a room that comes to life, and. Um, like everything around the, the room is moving like like it would do in, in uh, coming to life and the drawers uh, opening and stuff like that the, the, yeah if you want to play it there actually for anyone yeah. who doesn't know this song it, it is a nice song it is it, yeah I, I have a lot of time for this song it's uh, it's real upbeat and, and, and funky it doesn't suffer like a lot of the, the other songs on this list I got my mind on you I got my mind So you fucking hear, good. Yeah, you can hear from the drums and the bass and the sax later on that it has a very 80s feel. It's produced by Jeff Lynne uh, from ELO, like a lot of George Harris. Yeah. Stuff was. And the whole album does kind of sound 80s, apart from the song When We Was Fab, which was... It's a dreadful cover for an album. Oh, it's awful, but it's very 80s. It's yeah. typically 80s. It's actually Same almost album. identical to the one I just brought up on the screen in front of you as well. Like, Let's see, because I've got it's... little notes open. <laughs> Yeah, actually, yeah, that, that yeah. must have been an 80s thing. Yeah. So, so like, what I found was that the whole album sounded very much like that, except one song, which sounded just like the Beatles, and that's because it had Paul McCartney and Ringo on it, and it was the song is called When We Was Fab, mm. and it, it sounds like a song taken straight off uh, Magical Mystery Tour. Mm. So if you're a big Beatles fan, check out that song. It's actually very nice. It's actually him covering old ground, but in, in, a, in a, a kind of nice, nostalgic way. But this was my first big, oh, wow. Uh, things sound different in this decade. Yeah, when I was when I was young, I was like, music's mad. Like I used to just exclusively listen, bec- just because of what was going on in my house, to seventies music. So the more went on, I started noticing an MTV as well was pumping out like this video. This this video was on MTV every yeah. every day. It was mad. Like that, uh, I started to notice this change, and I couldn't understand any of it. I just no- noticed it was really fun and music mm. was really 
fun. Looking back, some of it didn't last like the fun factor, and it was, it was awful. It, yeah, it was too fun. Uh, Cancelled yeah, itself but, out. But this, th- like, this wouldn't be one of my favorite George Harrison songs, even. But mm. I think it's great. I think it's great, like for what it was, a really good cover in the eighties, and it, it, it did the business big time as well. Yep. So, uh, who's your next one? My next one is, I think it's a song you like. I think it's it's fucking dreadful. Um, it's Lou Reed with the original rapper. <laughs> and uh, Jesus. Now, when I say rapper, it's WR, like a covering of something. The rapper. Um, yeah. The, oh, yeah, opening the rapping. Uh, the original rapper. Now, in saying that, it has been spelled with a, a an R on a regular basis as well. Depends on uh, yeah, what he, he version of the... Yeah, depends on which version uh, of the, the mal- album. Malpropism, is that what it is? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, this came out in 1986. Um, Lou Reed obviously died in 2013. This is off an album called Mistrial, which is his 14th solo album. Fucking 14. This is the first single off that album, Mistrial. Um, yeah, it's fucking... Like, I'm sure everybody will know that Lou Reed was the guitarist, singer, and songwriter for the Velvet Underground for the most part. Um, his solo career spanned nearly fucking five decades, I think. Like, there's an yeah. awful lot. There's an awful lot there. Um, producer on this guy called Fernando Sanders, he was like a long-time collaborator with him, worked with Jeff Beck and Pat Benatar and Hart and a bunch of stuff like that. Um, this song is... It's real bad. Like, I, I think... Because... <laughs> You know what, I, I have to say, right, I went through Lou Reed's stuff for this podcast thinking I'm going to get you, I'm going to get Lou Reed during this, and I have to say, I don't really, I'm not a big Lou Reed fan. Yeah, either way. I have to say, I have to say, I, I had to give up, so I'm glad you put, I'm glad you found something, Um, even though, like, I went through this, and I have to be honest, I had to be given credit and be surprised that he never really, through the 80s, apart from some stuff like this, went for anything that was happening right now yeah he was very much either happy where he was or jumping probably possibly too far forward i th- I, I think this comes from because Lou Reed has a very uh distinctive vocal style i think this is this is um like he's saying like the original rapper not as if like he invented rapping but as if like he'd been doing that style of vocals since before like rap and hip-hop existed do you know what i mean um because he always had that kind of spoken word kind of um kind of weird uh, rhythm to his vocals and stuff like that and someone obviously pointed out to him was like Do you hear this fucking rap that's getting huge now it's it's everywhere rap music's everywhere have you heard it and he listens to him and he goes well that's kind of a bit like what i've been doing like my entire life so he says right the original Do you rapper. Reckon that's, yeah, i think yeah. so yeah i think so and i uh, loved i love the lyrics of it i lo- actually do you know what? i was listening to this and i was like I hate it. First time yeah. I heard it, I like it. But then it's, it's a couple of days it grew on me. Yes, it grew on me completely. And I just, I just think like, he had a crack at fucking rap music. But I think he oh, half definitely. arsed it. Oh, without, 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 without but I think it. he half arsed it. Like I think if you listen to this now, I think he's made it in such a way that it could be taken as like his attempt at making rap music, or he could just say like, oh, that's the way I've always done it. Like it's just a bit fresh and funky. Like you know, like if it fails, <laughs> really, like I'm gonna to play a was, bit of it. Hurts to know if he was taking the piss as well. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna press play in it now. Give people, right. give people a little bit of it, and um, cause it's, I think it's real bad. Like it's got all the fucking trademarks, <laughs> just bad. Um, but yeah, like people at home, let me know. Do you think you know? Is like he's definitely putting it on a bit to be a bit more rappy. 
but like is he is he covering his arse by not like going full rap you know uh, have a listen to this I, I don't know either actually have a listen here let's let's figure this out I was sitting home on the West End watching TV with a female friend. We were watching the news, the world's in a mess. Poor and the hungry world in distress. Herpes and AIDS, the Middle East, full throttle bit. Check that sauce before you put it in the waffle. And while you're at it, check what's in the batter. Make sure the candy's the original wrapper. Hey, pitch, you better check that batter. Make sure the candy's the original wrapper. Reagan says the portion's murder while he's looking at Cardinal O'Connor. Look at Jerry Falwell, Louis Farrakhan. Both talk religion and the brotherhood of man. They both sound like they belong to Iran. Watch out, they're going to full throttle. Better watch that sword before you put it in the waffle. And why you rat it? Better check that batter. Make sure the candy's the original rapper. Hey, bitch, you better check that batter. Make sure the candy's the original rapper. Fucking hurts me. I think that's really good. I swear, I think that's really good. I think it was because the lyrics are like, uh, check the sausage before you put it in the waffle. Hey, kid, check the butter. Make sure the candy is in its original wrapper. I'm oh. like, I don't know what he's saying with that, but that's a genius lyric. It's a, it's a lot going on. I don't know. It's it's, <laughs> it's not for me. See, that, that there's a particular bass sound that haunts most of these songs, and it's very of the era. I can't listen to it. I can't burn that's black. actually that's that's real bass though. That's yeah, yeah, that's real. Those those uh, aluminium cones that they put into the speakers. Yeah. So it sound like it's that. weird. Like it's it's literally might end up on my, one of my uh, you know changed my mind on on him. Uh, I, I don't think I, I I don't think I will. I, so, I, yeah, I that that'll be the turning point for you. That one. Is it? I did watch like, a video of this out of curiosity. Oh, the video. Uh, yeah, made yeah. by a, a Polish guy who I, I actually can't pronounce his name. Oh God, yeah, yeah. Fair play it's, if you, it's, anyone who can. I am. Like it's because when Polish people pronounce those names, they sound easy enough to pronounce. No, but our, not based our, on not, but not based on what they look like. Our mouths can't make the the shapes to let that noise out. I've tried. <laughs> I swear to God, I've tried. Like so, I watched the video and uh, he's dressed up as Michael Jackson, but trying. the whole song is way slower. Yeah, and he's singing much more like this and rapping yeah. instead of like the speed the radio of that, he, or something. He can't. He can't keep up with that song when he no. in this version. That's why he's like rolling them. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I don't like it, but he's definitely. I I think he's definitely listening to hip hop and it's hot. And I think more than, I think because it's Lou Reed and he's been around for so long. Um, like he's born in nineteen forty two. Like he's right. he's at this stage he's forty four at this stage. I don't think he really gives a shit. Um, but I think what's happened there is he heard hip hop and I think he likes it as opposed to he's trying to ape it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I don't think he's trying to like do it. Because he thinks it'll sell. I think he's doing it because he likes it. He's having a shot at it. Blondie did it as well. Oh, Adamant done it. They all had a crack at it, man. Yeah. Um, and they were all fucking terrible. Yeah. They were all they were all really bad. Like, fucking... Some of the Ramones had a crack at it. Like, it's just bad. It's bad. Um, yeah, that's Lou Reed, the original rapper from 1986. Jesus Christ. Uh, who's your next one? My next one is um, Pete Townsend. Okay. Let my love open the door. Now, yeah, Pete Townsend, the guitarist from The Who, right? He wasn't. He sequenced music back before, like around the the Who's Next uh, album era, mm. which is which that's why we have that really really cool uh, intro to Baba O'Reilly. Yeah. 
And the start of this song uses that same type of sequence. Uh, but what follows is a completely different song. <laughs> like, He's one of the ugliest men in rock and roll, isn't he? He looks Pete very Townsend. sad and, and melted. He just looks like someone started drawing his face and then forgot halfway down. And then like a I year am, later... I am as they, God made, I am as God made yeah, me, sir. <laughs> like a year or two later, they find the picture of his half-drawn face, but they've got a little bit better. <laughs> so like the bottom half of his face is a little bit better than the top half of his face, yeah, but they just yeah. don't match because they lost that, that he, pencil. He, he got better as he grew older because he grew into his own face. Yeah, he, he did. did. Yeah. He did. And the hair, he got rid of the hair. Um, well, yeah. nature got rid of the hair. He looked and like that. He looked like that young flint in school who was always in trouble and always had like never had his right shoes with him and never yeah. had his school books with him. Yes, yeah, latchkey like, kid. Yeah, latchkey. Yeah, exactly. Just, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's you what know? he looks like. You know what I mean? It's like, are you going to finish that sandwich? Are you going to have a pee? Yeah. Like you know, it's just one yeah. of them. Yeah. God help him. Very talented. Unfortunately, he seems to be a terrible person, but very talented. We don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know the full story behind yeah, that. Yeah, I'm not. I, I can't. Look, can't prove it. Yeah, can't prove it. And the story's left, right, and center. Uh, yeah. But well, look, back then, the Who were known to be one of the most energetic and loud rock bands of the 60s and 70s. One of the most underrated fucking um, rock bands of all time, as far as I'm concerned. I don't know if they're underrated. Ah, they, they're very, never mentioned. Very, they're never mentioned rated. along, know along with fucking yeah. Zeppelin and all that, you know. They're just not. Oh, they are. I think so. Like, I'm a big YouTube fan. Like, I love the Who. I love them more than Led Zeppelin. Yeah, me Way too. more. Way more. Way more. Yeah. I think so. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying in, in terms of that kind of thing. But they are, like, in America and all, they're, they're monstrous. So, in the in 1980, P-Town 10 releases this catchy love song, mm. which is not a bad song. It's not, so, not a good song. And it's been used in so many films and so many film trailers, mm. which is why you might recognize it when you're listening to this. Um, so this is Let My Love Open the Door from 1980. So this is not quite in the same uh, age bracket as the other songs. Mm. But, uh, so, yeah, give it a give it a play there. Right here. This song could have been the prototype song for this because this is way earlier than all the other songs in the playlist. Mm. Yeah, it's 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 used on so many eighties movies. Yeah, so many eighties movies, and it has a real quintessential eighties sound to the song. I know it is nineteen eighty, but yeah, like that's very early, very very early to be doing that kind of movie pop song. And, very much, and I think that's uh, so. Yeah, like initially, apparently, Pete Townsend's manager hated this song really and was like please don't put it it doesn't sound anything like you at all uh he wanted it to be removed from the album empty glass wow um but when the song blew up and it did really really commercially well 
uh, obviously his manager apologised because manager like money and success big um, fans yeah but uh, but even saying that years later um, when the 80s effect had worn off Pete Townsend says like he does not consider this remotely one of his best songs really all. He's, yeah he says it's fine it's a, a ditty he called it mm. it's a ditty uh, it's very yeah, it is it is actually very ditty-ish it is very ditty-ish it, yeah. it ticks all the ditty boxes it does uh, so it's keyboardy is an 80s pop love song to me this is one of the really early examples of this mm. whereas the rest of them almost fit into that three-year bracket this yeah. one was possibly the prime evil demon of of them, <laughs> of them all who's your next one uh my next one is uh i don't know if i like it or i hate it i don't know um Again, this is another song that haunted me as a child. Every time you put the fucking radio on, it feels like they played it every hour on every radio station until around the year two thousand. It's yeah. uh, Steve Winwood with Higher Love from nineteen eighty six. Yeah, I think I think you've covered the base of what this song is. Great song, overplayed. Yeah, I just I I'm kind of done with it now. Steve Winwood, like I started doing research. I knew the song. Everybody knows this song. Yeah. I, don't know, I, I don't really know anything about Steve Winwood, right? It's I just, just know what band he was in. That's all I know. Yeah, but, but like, it gets interesting because he's been, he's done an awful, an awful lot of stuff. Like, there's yeah, loads but... of weird little, little factoids about him. Um, so he was in the, the, the Spencer Davis group um, in the 60s. Yeah, I loved him. I absolutely loved him. Uh, that's where I know him from. Like, yeah, um, and then he had a band called Traffic and he had a band called Blowing Faith. Um he oh, began Christ, he was in Blind Faith. Blind yeah, Faith, Jesus yeah. Christ, of course, yeah. yeah. Really so, and um, I, I don't know much of traffic, I know the name, but I don't know much about the Uh yeah, it's weird. Like uh he started a solo career in the eighties, obviously, like, like everyone else. Uh, I think everyone else everyone saw everyone doing their own thing in the eighties because it was now feasible to just Man, get a load let of me, let me ask you this. What was the story? Would C- did CDs have any anything to do with this? If CDs were launching big time and they would have been around this time, I <laughs> Maybe. Did that, did that, I don't know, See, people uh, release uh, more albums then or something like I, that? Like, yeah. <laughs> I can tell you that by the kind of early 2000s, early to mid 2000s, that CDs were so cheap to create that it didn't, it was barely a factor. You know what I mean? Like, it, it didn't matter how many you pressed. Like, 500 or 5 million. Like, the numbers weren't that different, realistically. I'm wondering what, were they were they, were artists making more money in the eighties? Well, I think it. whenever there's a new format, there's a big resurgence of people wanting media for that format. Okay, so if if you think back to go back to our kind of middle or early adulthood when MP3s were a thing, right? Yeah. And what did we do on the weekends? We downloaded everything we could get our fucking hands on, right? You powered up Napster or Soulseek or LimeWire and any band that anybody ever told you about or any band you'd, you'd ever owned or seen or heard of, you downloaded it. You, you amassed fucking music in some yeah, way, shape to, or form. download Metallica and have on a separate MP3 player. I don't even like them. I, I'm <coughs> not even a massive fan. Just it was spy. No. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, just, so just, just download their stuff for the crack and delete. This it. is this is 1986. So CDs are starting to kind of become a thing. People are talking about them. More and more people are starting to buy players. Just, the players are still kind of expensive. The media is still a little bit expensive. However, what CDs are being sold on is that you can fit a shitload of music on them, and it's the greatest audio fidelity ever created. 
right? So th- that's now matching what the studios are able to create. Yeah. Because things had to be mastered in a particular way for vinyl. It had to be mastered in a particular way for cassettes. So when CD comes out, there's a new way of mastering things, a new way of mixing things. And so studios are going ape shit in production. Now, when you listen to a song like this, like Higher Love, the production on this is fucking 10 out of 10. It's, oh, it's very, very good. It's just top notch, right? It's like, it's just a format that every song, like, kind of comes after that's in the same vein. They're like, we need that Higher Love kind of feel. It's warm. You can hear everything. Separation is wonderful. Like, everything is there. This is the type of song that's like built for going onto a CD, you know? Um, so I would, I would say that almost certainly the fact that there was a new medium in town for listening to music yeah. absolutely would have driven sales. Now, I don't think uh, CD singles weren't really a thing for a while. That, w- that was more of a like late 80s, um, like 88, 89 CD singles start becoming a thing. So people would have been buying albums, you know. Uh, yeah. Singles were more for radio play round about, uh, round about then. And obviously seven-inch singles were still getting uh, pressed up for DJs because DJs just were not using CDs back then they just weren't most of them are actually using cassettes of all of all things um, Technics were making like uh, cassette decks for DJing and stuff like that um, still highly sought after to this day actually because um, they could like rewind in a split second and you could like stop on the dime and have stuff lined up I think some of them had like four tape decks and shit like that it was great you know mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> and cassette technology got to the point where you could like save points like cue right. points on cassette and stuff oh you know? yeah 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 um, well, You'd need that for DJing. Exactly. So that was that was that was a kind of a, a, a big deal. Um so yeah, he um started his solo career in the eighties. He, he actually got inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame with uh traffic in two thousand and five. Cause uh, yeah, I, what I can't get is like Spencer Davis group, give me some love and that's an absolute banger. Mm. I'm a man, stuff like that. Like that's just such a good band. And then this does not sound anything like that. No, all his early stuff is kinda rocky bluesy kind of stuff he had he, uh, his solo career he started doing kind of blue eyed soul stuff as well uh so he, he was always hanging around with eric clapton like, like yeah. he had a big big thing he, uh, he joined the uh, eric clapton started a little project called eric clapton and the powerhouse and he was with them for a while and that led to the formation of blind fate uh with ginger baker as well yeah um, they're, they're and, very good and rick uh, uh Rick, uh, what's his name? Rick Grech, I think his name is uh, Gretch or something like that. I can't how, don't know how you do it. Um, now, Clapton leaves and uh, eventually that becomes Ginger Baker's Air Force because Clapton's like, no, I've, I've had enough. Um, <laughs> did you know that Steve Winwood plays the the organ on Voodoo Child by Jimi Hendrix? No. Yeah, no. that's him on that single. Fact. Fact yeah, that's fucking crazy. Um, so this song's written by him and a guy called Wilbur Jennings. Um uh, who who was a lyricist and a and a producer? He wrote uh, "Tears in Heaven," wrote all the lyrics for "Tears in Heaven" by Eric Clapton, and he wrote mm-hmm. uh, he wrote "My Heart Will Go On" by Celine Dion as well. He was involved mm-hmm. in this song, which is weird. Uh, background vocals in this are by Shaka Khan, uh, which, is, which is weird as well. Apparently, the first time Shaka Khan heard this song, she freaked out over the drum intro. It's a very famous drum intro, which is like yeah. basically two sets of. Uh, kind of two drum tracks being played off kilter but they kind of match up at the same time um it's uh john robinson from michael jackson uh played on off the wall and all that he's one of yeah, Qu- yeah. quincy jones's kind of go-to guys he plays drums on this track as well 
this is a very uplifting song like it really is and, and I know it's yeah. so dumb because it's basically what exactly what it's supposed to do yeah. and it, it's not there's nothing extra or hidden in it that no it's just all songs. laid it's, out in the line yeah. it's basically Ron Seal of Feel Good very very much so uh, there's a music video for this as well uh, uh, directing duo Peter Kagan and uh, Paula Grief I think their name were but they made this video and then like three or four months later they were hired to make a video for Duran Duran for the song Notorious and they basically just made the exact same video that they made for Steve Winwood like it's literally <laughs> They the might exact have been same, asked to just, just with Duran Duran. I think it might that might have been like kind of a piss takey kind of thing. Uh, Noel Rogers right. plays guitar on this as well. He's also in the video. He's on every song ever. He's on every song ever. Yeah, he plays a uh, rhythm guitar on this song. He's in the video as well. Um, it's yeah, it's fucking, it's weird. So let's play it. Let's play it. Everyone wants uh, you to play it because it's a good song. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's figure let's figure this out here. Here we go. I could really do without the fucking beep, 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 the 80s uh, synth horns. Love, I hate them. I love all of it. Do you know what this podcast says to me? What? It says a load of lads going, looking at the charts going, I could do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they could. Yeah, and they, they, they actually, actually were able. Though. Yeah, they were able to get it together. Yeah. I think there uh, was a lot of like, they didn't, they could use some of the technologies and they were they were looking at each other, leaning into pop and getting away with it, and playing stadiums again. Yeah, when yeah. they're like late seventies and might have fell down mm-hmm. a little bit for some of them. Uh, it's mad. It's mad. I just think they they all went. <laughs> Hang on a second. Yeah, I think like come come from that kind of bluesy uh, background there, and that kind of soft rock kind of uh, club background. The, like you're saying, hearing what's doing the rounds, it's 1986, so we're deep in the weeds here now with this kind of music. And just going, you know, I've got the voice for that, like I'll be able for it. When we, like, surely enough of us can put together some sort of composite version of what's doing the rounds now, but like, and, and have think, it be real good, like. I think a lot of them as well were like, let's not go full into it. Like, the next yeah. artist I'm going to pick is definitely tried to, to not go full into it, but. I don't know. I'll leave it up to people to decide whether. Yeah, the know. next the next one you go into, I have a little theory on as well, and I need to know. I need uh, I need you to throw some dates at me so I can I can see if my theory lines up. Um, but right. that was Steve Winwood with Higher Love from nineteen eighty six. Uh, yeah. from Birmingham. That's so I think yeah. some, a lot of people think he might be English or, or sorry, yeah, he is, yeah, um, American <laughs> just because of the style of that song. Should I say he's not from Birmingham, Alabama? He's from Birmingham, Birmingham, yeah. Birmingham, Birmingham. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Right, who is your next one? 
Well, it's 1986 again, mm. again, massively big year for this exact topic. Uh, it's Iggy Pop with Cry for Love. Mm. And in Iggy Pop's defense, I went, I went right through his collection to try and find what went on in the 80s different to the rest of the stuff. Mm. And even up until I thought he was going to avoid it until mm. I got to it. I remembered this uh, album, uh, blah, blah, blah. Mm. I didn't remember the album. I remember the big song of it, Real Wild Child. Yeah. He uh, he hasn't had his minimal pop pandering throughout his entire career, to yeah. be fair to him. And this is the only album where he ever went pop, to be perfectly honest with you. Yeah. Ironically, his name's, you know. <laughs> so <laughs> he didn't escape it. The drum machine is there definitely in, in this song. The, yes. The synth. Um, he loved the single, like I said, Real World Child, World One, which is an 80s synth cover of a 50s rock and roll track by Johnny Green and Johnny O'Keefe and Dave Owens. And this this was a year before George Harrison to do, decided to do almost the exact same thing, do an 80s, with, you know, modern at the time, uh, version of a 60s or 50s or 60s song. Mm. And and I wonder if George Harrison take kind of cue from how big real world one was and go Mm -hmm. he's playing songs from the 50s i I can do that as well um we all know real world one but that's not the song that i chose i chose cry for love yeah written by iggy pop and steve jones of the sex pistols Uh, this feels very like a billy idol song and it's i i I would go out and say on a limb maybe that, that this is inspired by how well billy idol was doing so that iggy pop could kind of go well look he's keeping it a little bit punk and a little bit rock and it's also massively popular pop music yeah. mixed with it so this, give it a little this on. to me before we even play this this to me sounds very like someone's half arsed attempt like in 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 a positive way so you can't they can't you know jump too out of the box yeah. this sounds like Iggy Pop's um attempt at doing Sisters of Mercy it's very gutty it's yeah, because of his because of his low voice and yeah. the synths, it ends up yeah being actually it just has gothy, this this kind of dark goth feel. I'm instantly drawn to it. Yeah, <laughs> it just it feels like it's missing something that would drag it directly into like the point where you could play it at a at a goth club. You know what I mean? Like you could play this at a goth club and get away with it. You well, could, I but know. I think there's, I don't, there's I don't know much about some go for Im- something imposing missing from the mix or something something small, but like. You, your brain is nearly creating it for you. Let, like I said, let's let's play a bit of it here and let people decide yeah. for themselves. But um, I know Sister Mercy formed in like 1980, but like Floodlands, which would have been the big shit, was like 1987. So this is pre that. Um, it's just I don't know. Have a, let's have a listen.
like, yeah, I definitely hear the Billy Idol thing, 100%. That's real. That well, That's really there on the top, if, but there's something gotti. If you think about who influenced uh, Sister's Mercy most, it's got to be Bowie up there. Mm. Now, David Bowie wrote most of this album. Mm. So he He's done a lot of work from yeah. He did a lot of work, yeah. And vice versa, you know, they worked a lot together. Oh, yeah, this yeah. was the last time they worked together because Iggy Pop was not happy with this at all. Afterwards, he looked back on it and was like, completely disowned the the album, to be honest with you. Mm. He was like, says it, to be honest with you. He I said, mean, coming yeah, from that like, kind of proto-punk rock and roll, yeah. still just look, background. here's the thing. It's easy to disown something after it makes you a shitload of money. And it did. True, true. And this was really successful and he had a really lucrative tour after it. Mm. But he says in retrospect, he says, to be honest, it's it's a it's a David Bowie album, and it's uh, it sounds more like the stuff he was doing at the time. Very Bowie-ish. Um, and yeah, so that I hate that been, real wild one song. I fucking hate it. I, I'm not a big fan of it. Like I, I like when I hear it, I like about five seconds of it. And yeah, then I go, right, turn it off now. I remember because the riff gonna, now. That's enough. Gonna go on for another hour, and yeah. it doesn't do anything at all. Um, even even on the cover of this blah blah album, he looks like he doesn't want to be there. Doesn't want to be there. He's kind of dressed up in clothes. He looks like he doesn't really want to be wearing. Yeah. Like although it is just a jeans and t-shirt, it's it just doesn't look like he's. <laughs> no, he's either topless or in a weird suit. That's yeah. The only way I've ever known. Yeah. Biggie Pop, but um, I think he was fighting it. Like if you listen to the lyrics of that song, are great. Yeah, lyrically, it's really really good. I think that's a great song. I'm gonna play that in all my sets. I like it. Time, I like um, it. Yeah. There's something to it. I think that the, you can hear Iggy Pop coming out over the pop like yeah. music, and he's he's a bit disgusted by it, and he's he's coming in a bit harsher with his tones. Yeah, and he's, he's trying he's trying to like dort it up a bit as much as he can. Yeah, yeah. But uh, that's the the album is is an interesting interesting listen, and I think that I haven't listened to the album in forever. Yeah, I think the reason um, I find it interesting as well is because I think your next artist. Oh yeah. Uh, We've already mentioned to, them. A, a lot to do with it. Yeah. And it, it came around the same time. Yeah. I can't remember, probably the same year. Is it? 87. Oh, right. So it's a year after this. So yeah. he was working with, working with Iggy Pop. Right, okay. So yeah. we'll, we'll, segue, we'll segue into your next one then. Segue. Segue into, yeah. Whenever I read the word segue, I'm like, what the fuck word is that? Like, in my head, segue <laughs> is spelled like the little go-kart thing. <laughs> it's like, I, don't know, I, every, I swear to God, it was only about three years ago that I realized that like segue was segue. I swear to God. Um, so, okay, yes, I I Segu into this. New enough, to, new enough to me as well. Like Lingery. <laughs> Let's go out and buy some, some sexy Lingery. What? Lingery. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's David Bowie. And uh, the song is Never Let Me Down from 1987. Uh, it's the title track of the album, Never Let Me Down. It's not uh, a good period, was it? No, he had, uh, he had bad, bad mojo around this time. Uh, this is the third and final single from this album. Uh, it's it's all bad. Um, it's so bad. <laughs> it's not, there was, it's not good at all. Yeah, it's so bad that Bowie hated it. Um, but he thought the album he released before, yeah, which for the life of me I can't remember what it was called. Um, time or so I can't remember what the fuck it's called. Uh, it's so bad that he he thought that uh, I think he thought the one before it. I know he thought this was better than the one before it. Um. And uh, all the kind of uh, music journalists were like, "Like, yeah, yeah, yeah I think you're right. Actually, it's it's fucking dreadful, David. But uh, it's a little bit better than your last thing." Um, right. However, uh, I think this was the last single he had that charted before 2016, like solo single. Bad. Yeah, like 
Are you sure? Little yeah, little like that's 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 what, that's what the internet tells me. I'm not gonna stick stand by it, but that got in the top forty, um, before 2016. I mean, to to me, Bowie's seventies, <laughs> yes, nineties, yes, eighties, me, little bit. That's, 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 there's there's a lot going on in the in, in the fucking eighties from. Um, I think he struggled. I think he struggled with with this exactly the. The, the topic we're talking about, like getting into this pop sensibility well, and the technology. Apparently, like when it came to this album, he this is his seventeenth studio album, right? So he knows what he's doing at this stage of the game. Um, he recorded most of it in Switzerland in his house, and uh, he brought. He, he, I think he went to New York then and finished it. But he wanted to go back to kind of rock and roll music, right? Yeah. He wanted to go back to that kind of station to station kind of sound, was kind of dark. Um, but it's kind of rock driven, you know, guitars and stuff like that. But apparently, what had happened was when he ended up in the studio, he just kind of got he got sucked up into the eighties. Like he's, he gave a bunch of bunch of interviews talking about it, and he said, "Listen, I just got so I seen all the technology that was available by nineteen eighty seven with the synthesizers and the samplers and stuff." And he said, "All of a sudden, it kind of went from the songs being written in a rock and roll manner to being uh, kind of rung through this eighties machine that." And he said, all of a sudden, I just started leaning into it. He said, but yeah. what I what I didn't do is I there's, didn't there's pay... There's an actual quote from what we just yeah, had. He, yeah. he literally said that. That's yeah, yeah. And um, he said that, like, even though the song started off wanting, wanting to be rock and rolly, he said, by the time we ended up coming out the other end of it, we were left with this, like, snapshot of the late 80s sound. And he said, yeah. he said, I didn't pay enough attention to the production. I was more interested in in these machines that could make weird noises. And he said, oh, I think I'm back in it now. It must have sounded futuristic. Oh, yeah, yeah. Especially in 87. Like, like, who knows? It must have God sounded like this was never going to date. They're jumping miles ahead. Yet, ironically, by the 90s, this started to sound old. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, this version that we're going to play here now, right? This is the remastered version from 2018. This shares very little in common with the original version of it. All right. the instrumentation on this version of the song is different from the original release. Right. They replayed everything and remixed it, oh, right? Because really? Bowie fucking hated it. Um, and he hated it. He, oh yeah, yeah, I mean, like they used similar technology and like they didn't change the music. They just kind of yeah. cleaned he, it up. And he, he hated it afterwards. <laughs> he hated it after he made it. He hated it so much he had one song removed. The song called "Too Dizzy" was just removed to delete it from the catalog. Um, <laughs> you'll find it on some Japanese versions. You might find it on Spotify and some weird cut. Um, but he hated the song so much, he thought it was one of the worst things he was ever involved in. He had it just deleted. Um, yeah. Completely not really gone. Um, but th- this kind of served him so much, he ended up performing Tin Machine to make rock music. Yeah, that's right. This was meant to be his rock ba- his rock album, and he realised he couldn't do it. Like, he was always just going to be David Bowie. So we done Tin Machine instead. This also has harmonica in it, which is fucking, it's always just a no for me. And also, I'm going to play a bit of it now. And I want you to tell me, you and the people listening at home, isn't this, this sounds exactly, and I mean exactly, like Last Christmas by Wham. You can sing Last Christmas along to this song, right? And you'll know exactly where to start singing. Last Christmas, it gave me your heart. Are you ready? Here we go. Whoa, whoa. 
It does sound like last Christmas, doesn't it? It does. It sounds yeah. very like it. Isn't yeah. it? Even the start of it, very yeah, like it. Exactly. That's, that's like, I hate, like we've talked, Jesus, we've gushed over Bowie in this podcast. So oh, yeah, a, yeah. And we have to put up a, you know, and this is, he unfortunately falls into the category of. Yeah, he got trapped. Who got trapped in, in that he kind got of. Got fucking trapped studio, by his own admission. Studio. Yeah. yeah, yeah, at least he admitted it, you know. <laughs> now, this album is so 80s. It even has a song with the actor Mickey Rourke rapping on it. Fuck. Yep. Yep. Mickey Rock is fucking rapping on this album. We, we've unearthed some mad stuff in this podcast yeah. already. We really, really have. So, um, yeah. So, apparently he, like, one of the interviews I read with him today where he was, he was talking about this album and he was so revved up in this album because the last one had fallen flat on his face. He was like, this is fucking it. I mean, a fucking rock album that's going to, you know, we're going to get, like, everything that's cool to do with the 80s. We'll get them all together and fucking, you know, pile drive this fucking record. Now, on the back of this album, they went off on this tour. I think it was called like the Glass Spider Tour or something like that. And it was like a very lucrative, huge tour. Like his biggest yeah. production he'd ever done. Um, but the album just didn't sell. It was fucking shit on. Like it, it did not do the business. But the tour done the business. So I'd say that realistically made it kind of enough. Like, you know, but it was a, it was a big... A but big this flop. This is what I'm talking about. All tours were huge. Seemingly. Of course. Like Iggy Pop was pulling in mad numbers doing this music. So yeah. I think they, they saw, they looked at it and went, lads, we have to do something. We have to jump on this while the money's being thrown away. Exactly. Like these younger artists making songs from their bedroom and they're in, a sh- in an arena the next day. Exactly. Well, think think about what you just heard there. You know, I've got weird kind of reverse drums and vocal bits just kind of yeah. sequenced in there. There's loads of like kind of shit and kind of yeah. shit in the background it's got that slappy funk bass that I despise um, like and I don't despise it it can be used well but for some reason yeah. there's an 8 it's year dated. period it's, I like it but it's very dated yeah everyone used it for about 8 years and it, it, it was so saturated that it lost all, all effect there's synth going on he's singing in a weird way it doesn't even sound like him it takes about 40 seconds for your brain to like go like this is just the way David Bowie is singing now. Um, apparently, he was singing so weird in this album, people thought he had created a new character. Like a new Ziggy right, Stardust, yeah. you know, or a, or a Tim White Duke. They thought he'd created a new character and he was like, no, just the way I wanted to sing on this uh, rock and roll album. Like rock yeah. and roll album. My, yeah, me whole. Um, I just think he's probably heavy, heavy on the old drugs and, you know. I don't know when he gave it up. I can't remember crit- critically on on the music and the, like I said the technology just started doing its own thing with a lot there of in front of you it's there in front of you and yeah. he gets to mess around with it instead of calling in because I think the album before this he'd called in all these weird like fucking Belgian trombone players and Ghanaian fucking flutists and shit you know what I mean like to have access to like mad instruments yeah. and now there's technology sitting in front of him and you just press a keyboard and it goes, yeah. and he's like, "This is fucking wonderful." The future, anyway. So exactly. Yeah. It sounds so cool. Um, it's like robots made it, you know. So fucking, yeah. let's do it. Uh, so listen, that's David Bowie. Never let me down from 1987. Uh, uh, like I said, the tour and final single from the album, "Never Let Me Down." Um, I think the original version might be on Spotify if somebody wants to do the Pepsi challenge on it and uh, <laughs> see what the difference is. Um, I don't think it's massive. Like, this is the Japanese remaster, which I think might have that song, Too Dizzy, uh, which is the one he, he wanted deleted. Um, wow. So if you want to hear 
what Bowie oh, considered. Do hear that now. Yeah, what 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 Bowie considered to be like his. Hang on a second. Let me click this play. It's in front of me. Let's see if Too Dizzy is on here. It's not. See? Oh, oh it's not there. Oh, I'll find that at some stage. We'll play it um, at yeah. some stage. Uh, but yeah, that's Dave Bowie. Who is your next one? So, at the end of 1984, the two co-singers of the Eagles both had a huge hit in the mm. charts at the same time. Um, Don Henley had Boys of Summer, which could have mm. also easily made it onto this. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. It, was, it was in contention to be on this uh, episode, especially with the use of the Lindrum at the very start. But I've gone for the other one, uh, The Heat Is On, uh, recorded by Glenn Frey from 1984 i think this was october it was just before 85 the, the 85 to 87 catchment area i was talking about this was just mm. on the cusp of that and um, this was written for the beverly hills cop movie mm. uh, written by Her- harold faltmeyer and of, of axel f fame obviously <laughs> and keith forsey and um, this movie was huge in 84 which meant that this song was huge of course this, song, this movie was only the seventh biggest film of 84 Mad. and other movies this uh other movies from this year had huge songs in the charts as well to compete with it mm. so you had credit kid yeah so peter katera doing that one i think was on credit kid one mm. it, the, it footloose and the entire soundtrack of footloose in the chart and you also had the biggest film of the year which was ghostbusters mm. and, um that song obviously had a huge huey lewis and the new nah, sound yeah. Yeah. And so does this song. So does the heat yeah, is on. Yeah. And I actually, it's just the 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 preak the whoa, whoa is the best bit of the yeah. whole song. Dude, the rest of it is very good, but yeah. when it hits that whoa, that, oh, oh, oh. your yeah. whole back goes oh shit. So play it there anyway. This song is fine until it gets to that bit, and this song elevates it to just that that oh, it's great. <laughs> it is Beverly Hills Cop. <laughs> It's an integral part of the song, but I fucking hate that. Yeah, you see, the, the, that's could be done with it. It's too, uh, it's too in your face. Mi- mixed too high in the yeah. 80s. Saxophones were too prominent and mixed way too high. That's the thing I hate about synthwave lately. Everyone's gone mad for the saxophones. Really? Like obviously it's dying out a bit now, but yeah. it was almost like every synthwave song mm. had to have 
like the vocal version especially have to have a big uh, saxophone in it as well I'm like right saxophone's not a phenomenal sounding instrument it's okay it can be nice for layers and stuff mm. but when you make it obviously um, you know Baker Street is, is, is separate that, that's mm. its own thing I, I don't mind that being right there at the front but yeah it is that it, it should saxophone should not be part of the riff yeah it should be used later on uh, and especially in a ballad when you can play it slowly but play it fast in the riff yeah it's it's a bit much so um, Glenn Frey was invited to sing and play guitar on this song by Voldemort and he was he's actually only paid 15 grand for it really that's that's mad that's but he can obviously play that for the rest of his life but I don't yes. know how much of that he would have gotten before he died yeah this song became a major major hit it reached number 2 on the billboards 100 in it actually it's March 1985 that's when it hit us so it's still in the right in the right year bracket I was talking about yeah uh, behind Can't Fight This Feeling by Oreo Speedwagon which is a banger now The Boys of Summer only reached number 5 mm. uh, but before you give him too much credit like in terms of well he wrote that himself and he didn't have it in a big movie yeah. this was actually a discarded Tom Petty and the Heartbreaker song Boys of Summer it fucking loads of Tom Petty stuff that was just thrown away yeah, I'm good. Grand thanks. Like someone else's like, fucking meat and potatoes. Like, but like, I like Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, but I think Boys of Summer is better than all of his songs. Yeah, like, does it? Don't like, get me no, wrong. no, 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 maybe not, maybe not. Okay, there's, no, loud, there's no. loads of great Petty, but like, really I've never good, yeah. ever in a million years ever put Tom Petty on. I've never. Like, I do, I, I do, mean, I do. I never do, and I, I, I wouldn't be wanting down the road. Oh, listen to Tom Petty now. Just, just now. I remember I had his anthology when I was a lot younger, and I just I remember listening to it for about four weeks straight. Really? Just a whole month. Just had that anthology on. It was so good. Yeah. Um, I have it on CD. I have same a bunch time of stuff though, on I, CD. Like I, I think I regard maybe I regard Boys of Summer too highly. Maybe. That, like, uh, but um, that was written by the guitarist Mike Campbell, rejected by Tom Petty himself because it didn't fit. Um, although uh, Don Henley did rewrite the lyrics and stuff like that yeah. but that was uh, The Heat Is On which I'm kind of was much more of the pop song out of the two of them to go Very, head to yeah, head yeah, yeah, um, uh, who's your next one? my last one your last one uh, my last one is uh, again is it dreadful? is it great? Yeah. Uh, yeah. it's unfortunately probably one of the catchiest songs ever written Uh yeah. And it's Lindsay I'm Buckingham. Stuck in my head all night. Yeah, now. Lindsay Buckingham with Holiday Road from 1983. <laughs> uh, I mean, it, this, it sounds like something Elwin's dance to in Shalala. That's every time I hear it. Like ha- having this, having yeah. grown up halfway this, between kind of Dublin and the the wilds of Wicklow. This, um, this doesn't sound typically 80s, but it's it's in the bracket of of you know solo. 80s pop songs yeah it's it's i don't i don't know how to uh, this one the dog's going mad hello dog um this is what you get for your your your, your patreon funds is uh, that real life shit that gritty real life shit helmet um this uh, he ended up doing six solo albums um now this this song he, he was kind of famous for playing everything himself so if you go and look at the credits on this song it's just him he does everything. Uh, drums, bass, sequencing, guitar, singing, every single thing. He was kind of, he ended up doing loads of songs for, for movies as well. Um, but 
this was obviously this was specifically for that movie. This was this? specifically for National Lampoon's Vacation, and uh, he used to, in terms of kind of his his changeover. Obviously, um, obviously he was in fucking Fleetwood Mac for for uh, what did he do? Seventy five to eighty seven, and then ninety seven to two thousand and eighteen. Um, yeah, so um. Like he'd been around and he'd been in a huge fucking band, like you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, but his first solo album came out in nineteen eighty one, and it was it's it's like so it's nineteen eighty one. He released this kind of lo-fi new wave album that yeah. again he kind of played ninety nine percent of the stuff himself. Uh, he always had a, had a, a this thing where he he had a, like a, an interest in technology, and again going back to this kind of eighties thing where things become uh, portable and um, more uh, kind of user friendly. We talked before about like the synthesizers that the Beatles and stuff got interested in 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 the sixties, and they had to be delivered by trucks, you know, um, and the team a team of engineers it took them a day to to wire them up, uh, right. and now you can like buy something that fits underneath your arm, and especially stuff like four tracks and eight tracks start becoming kind of popular and yeah. sound already. So uh, Lindsay had a bunch of these like four tracks and eight tracks, and he just wherever he was living or staying or wherever he might be traveling. He'd have one with him, or he'd have one sent out there, so he could work on demos all the time. So he was always messing around with kind of technology that was available at the time. So when the call came, asked him, "Can he do?" He done two songs for National Lampoon's. He done this one and one called "The Team from Vacation," which no one right. even remembers. Um, but this didn't even <laughs> like it didn't do well when it came out. This song like it didn't do great as a single, but like now it's since because of horse. Horse yeah, it does work. It, it's, it has since become like his fucking main song. No matter what anybody says. Like, he has some other songs that people know, but like, when you, you think of Lindsay Buckingham, you think of Holiday Row. Presumably, you mean outside Fleetwood Mac. Yeah, obviously, like, by, by himself. <laughs> uh, yeah. let, let's give this a spin here just so people <laughs> understand the, the fucking horror that uh, we're stricken by. That's quite fucking enough. Like. Ah, yeah, it literally hurts to listen to. Now, in saying that, that song has some of the, like the worst mixing of all time. If you listen to it, right? Like it doesn't sound good. Yeah. It doesn't sound good. There's a weird kind of like shh, shh, kind of machine noise going on that isn't the snare. It's just something I else going just on. Just released the demo. It, it sounds very demoish to me, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, now, Lindsay Buckingham is famous for having this weird style of guitar playing. Uh, this kind of weird finger picky kind of style and you can hear that <coughs> the guitar's not really doing much in that song it's sitting in the right channel just doing that fucking diddly 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 and then every now and again you get that but the fucking meat and two veg of this song is that bass line that bass line is fucking wonderful it's it's all over the place and it's 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 the the soul of the song fuck all the whoa and all that holiday row like that's the catch 
but the fucking soul of that song is that bass line. Just jump back in for ten seconds, right? And just listen, just listen to that fucking, just listen, just listen to that bass line. Like it sounds like he's playing on the bass, but he's he's got like a layer of piano or keyboard doing the exact same notes on top of it or something. It's weird. Um but that's possible, but it is just <laughs> basic bass lines. Yeah. It does the job, but it's Jack be nimble, Jack be quick, Jack Jack jumped over a candlestick, fucking nursery rhyme shy. But for some reason he glued it all together. Uh audio wise, it doesn't sound good, like we said, but it's just super catchy. It's like it's like when you hear it. It's because he. It's because after two lines of the, he's verse, straight into the he chorus. The chorus. Yeah, yeah, he's straight in. No messing. Um, I, I, that's also, one thing I do like about it. it oh it, yeah, straight in. That's, gets to the gets to the point. The misfit style of writing fucking songs, just straight in. Um, but there's uh, there's something about a song like that where you hear it and you go like, this reminds me of something else, and it's because it's basically six other songs glued together, like you know, like that. There's it's yeah. it's definitely like if if you were to go deep into it. I I I bet my fucking balls it's a lift, you know. I bet you it's a lift. Um, there's somewhere too much. The yeah, somewhere. There's it's there's something there that doesn't sound right to my to my ears. Yeah. Um, in it, but it's fucking huge. And this guy coming from that kind of rock background, or at least kind of Fleetwood Mac stadium rock sound, you know. Um, that jump into that. I mean, I, I didn't listen to his, his other solo stuff. I only know no. a couple of the other bits. And I'm, now I'm interested no, but in hearing we're, his we're, first we're, solo album. Yeah, I, want to, I want to see on, what that's like. We're basing it on what it sounded like compared to the band. And, and Fleetwood Mac are not the least pop band, especially around that era. Oh, but yeah. this is... You'd never hear this on a Fleetwood Mac album. Fuck no. Not in a million years. It's just... it's, it's No. No, this is a, a very much a, his own thing that he wanted to do. Like, you can, you can hear it. And like I said... It it sounds a bit lifty to me, um, and it also because it's gone through that that eighties machine. It all sounds very very familiar. Yeah. Um, even though it's eighty three, and maybe that's a hindsight thing. Then you know, but uh, yeah. that's Lindsay Buckingham, Holiday Road, nineteen eighty three. Uh, seems like a strange man. Although everybody in that band seems like they were fucking strange. So. <laughs> um, the lot going on with that band that we're not. I'm glad didn't even talk about that band really that much. Yeah. So that's that's you want to fuck it eight hours and a it's documentary separate. maker. That's a whole yeah. different animal. Uh, who is your last one? My last one. Um, you see, a lot of people think that as soon as Peter Gabriel left Genesis, the pop music started for for Genesis. They went mm. right. He's out. Let's do pop. But uh, it's not true. Genesis were <coughs> prog very much a prog band actually when Peter Gabriel had left hmm. in 83 but it took them seven albums after that for them to reach the invisible touch mm. era of of their pop yeah. which was to me their full pop wingspan when they I, did fucking, I love that the, era of Genesis I don't give a shit when but, that, but that's the that's the Genesis we remember like yeah. so like we didn't mean there's no way we grew up listening to Proggy Genesis. Peter no. Gabriel. Or, but no. this is the cast thing. I didn't realise there was seven albums between Peter Gabriel leaving. Sorry, the, the Invisible Touch was the seventh, I think. Yeah, they were bumping them out. What was the last one? Domino or something? Is that what it was called? It's like a double album. It's really good. I only listened to it last week. Domino or Domino's yeah. or some shit. I can't but, remember. But just before, like, they, they re- before they released, reached this 80s pop 
thing, it was actually quite a natural progression. It wasn't mm. just, they didn't just go, right, Peter's gone, let, let's do stuff. So let's do full pop. Um, but it was, of course, 1986. Mm. That, and, and to be honest with you, 86 is when um, uh, Invisible Touch came out. And mm. to be fair, even in 86, Peter Gabriel was releasing his poppiest album. So mm. with the single Sledgehammer being one of the most quintessential 80s pop songs yeah. uh, of all time, even though when you break it down, it's so much more than that. It's it's And it survives way beyond the 80s, I think. I, I think it does have an 80s, like it's part of an 80s yeah. timeline yeah. stamp, but it's it's a genius song and everything off. So while it, while it has an 80s feel of it, um, that means that Peter Gabriel doesn't go on this playlist, basically. Yeah. <laughs> so the year be- the year before, Phil Collins had released uh, No Jacket Required in 85. Yes. This is his poppiest 80s so- sound, mm. I think, with Susudio. Yeah. Like, that's just, that's mad 80s. Um, but the most 80s pop song didn't come from either of them. Mm. It came from Mike Rutherford. That's why I've chosen him instead of the other two. And Mike and the Mechanics mm. from 1986 with All I Need Is A Miracle. And that's even their most poppy song. Mm. So if you stick it on now, people will recognize it. I think I think people will recognize it. Definitely. song all right so I that's remember. why that's why i think that if i'm gonna pick someone from genesis mm. it has to be mike and the mechanics um coming out with the most pop of all the pop songs mm. um as you can hear i've got a bit of a cold <coughs> it doesn't regular cold uh, well you'll have to be on patreon to find yeah the point got the patreon to find out what exactly is wrong with me i'll give um, you three fair, guesses to be fair to uh Mike and Mechanics, there's a lot of instrumentation going on there. Um, so so they kind of went the other way. Mm. He didn't. He wasn't solo and in Genesis. Then he was solo, doing sort of popish, but not too dissimilar to where Genesis mm. was. And then he decided to do a band for this. And so basically what he did was he added, he, he was sick of doing songs on his own. So he added more instruments, more musicians, and Still went, still ended up with just the most pop of all the songs that, mm. like, 
Susudio, Sledgehammer, and All I Need Is a Miracle. And like they've got some, like Michael Mechanics have some great songs, Silent Running and The Living Years. Mm. But this is so deep into the pop pocket that it stands out more. It, it just edges, it even edges Phil Collins out of the way in terms of cheese. <laughs> so that's why they made it. It's made a it big chorus as well. Like it is. It's a huge. It's a huge big chorus. Yeah, yeah. he's using a lot of films as well. Yeah, that's right. They um they effectively broke up in the two thousands, and I think that is a nice place that we have finished the podcast now yeah. on the eighties eighties effect. So yeah. so I think people have a better understanding of where we were going with that. We we discovered a little phenomenon that happened to to people when they mm. kind of feeling a little bit left out in the cold after the seventies. Uh, having not having maybe a huge amount of maybe some of them, some like Genesis were having no trouble by then in the 80s, but some people maybe David Bowie was struggling a little bit, Iggy Pop struggling a little bit compared to what he did after that. Yeah, yeah. Um, George Harrison had come back from a hiatus from like four years or something like that. Mm. He tells them just want people to go look like and write a song without the who. Exactly. Uh, look at me, look at me, look at me. Uh, yeah. right, folks, that was it. That was the 80s effect. Um, show is over for free people uh, and again that's it uh, for people on Patreon we're going to uh, go over a little bit more stuff just a little tiny extension just nothing major the, don't worry about it the, the links again for the people exactly so uh, if you want to join our Patreon it's cheap I can't remember how much it is it's like a five or something it's cheap anyway and it's uh, it's uh, patreon.com forward slash lost art podcast the link is in the text wherever you get your podcast Spotify or directly um, off uh, Spreaker or wherever um, the link is in the text and you can join us it's a monthly subscription thing um, comes out I think at the end of every month or the beginning of every month I can't remember one, one or the other it's a fiver and uh, you can knock it off whatever you want You're not, you don't have to stay locked in for a year and you know jump in jump in for a month or two have a listen see if there's anything cool there and uh, see if you like uh, supporting us because it costs money to do this unfortunately and because we were up to our eyes there for a couple of months um, we had to we had to cover it all ourselves um, so the Patreon money makes a big difference um, so please if you like what we do uh, give us a little give us a little uh, subscription there on Patreon uh, if you have no money just tell your mates share it out um, talk about it on social media very important very important yes. uh, word you. of mouth is super important uh, thank you very much and we will talk to you again in a little while thanks a million good boy <laughs>